feel like I'm just trying to decode the secrets. And it's not the secrets to music. It's like the secrets to Nirvana. <laughs> 93X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast with Stephen Hyden. This is the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM and UpRocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. My guest today is Mike Gordon, bass player for Fish and a bass player for himself. He has a solo band and he has a new record coming out. Well, actually, it, well, I think it's already out by the time this podcast goes up. It's called O-G-O-G-O, O-Go-Go. I asked him how to pronounce it. He said to spell out all the letters, so O-G-O-G-O, but you can also call it O-Go-Go. At any rate, he has a new record out right now. He's going to be touring with a solo band uh, in late September into early October, um, and we talked about that. We also talked a lot about fish, and it was a great conversation. It was so much fun to talk to him. You know, on this podcast, we've sort of flirted with fish here and there. We've done some jam band stuff. You know, we've talked about the Grateful Dead, but we've never done a full-on sort of fish episode. And uh, it was awesome to have Mike Gordon on the podcast, a member of one of the biggest arena bands of the last 30 years. Um, and he was a really nice guy, very generous with his time. He was in a very tranquil mood. I caught him. He was outside of a coffee shop in Vermont, and he talks about this in the conversation, so I won't repeat too much, but... Uh, he was very zen, and he had a lot of, uh, you know, great things to talk about. You know, so just being a musician, being in the business for over 30 years, and uh, being on stage at Madison Square Garden and playing off the top of your head. How do you do that? How do you get in that, into that mind space? He talks a lot about that, talks about the inner workings of the band, talks about how he keeps himself busy. I mean, you know, he, he says in the podcast that like 90% of his time is doing his own music and the other 10% is fish. So he's definitely a very creative guy, very busy. I was really happy and thrilled that he made time to be on our podcast. Uh, he definitely has a lot of other things on his plate, but he was really great uh, talking to me. So before we get to that conversation, I want to tell you about our new friends at Brooklyn and and Brooklyn, and we're going to be talking about sheets. Now, sheets are very important. I know maybe you don't think they're important, but you spend a third of your day sleeping. And if you're going to be in your bed for that amount of time, why not put yourself in comfort? Take care of yourself. And with Brooklinen, you can, and you can do it at an affordable price. Now, Brooklinen was founded in April 2014 by a husband and wife team on the philosophy that people deserve simple, beautiful home essentials without the luxury price. Brooklinen is the fastest-growing bedding brand in the world because people love these products. Their sheets have over 12,000 five-star reviews. That is a lot of five-star reviews. This is luxury bedding, underpriced. You have to try these sheets today. Now, I love my Brooklinen sheets. I host this podcast, and this is one of the perks. I get sheets sometimes. And... If you try these sheets, I know you'll love them too. Now, brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. You get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code CELEBRATION at brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. That's right. There's no reason not to give these sheets a try. So, again, this is for my listeners you can get the $20 off and the free shipping if you use the promo code CELEBRATION at brooklinen.com. Again, that's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code CELEBRATION. 
So Mike Gordon, again, we, uh, we spoke about, uh, about a week and a half ago. We were on the phone. He was in Vermont. He was in a very tranquil mood. Uh, I think he, you know, I think he feels like he's on a high right now. I mean, Fish had a great summer. Uh, they played that Baker's Dozen at Madison Square Garden. That was rapturously received by fans, but also by the mainstream media. You know, and the mainstream media has at times been dismissive of, of this band. You know, in the New York Times, there were several features. You know, Rolling Stone had some really good good features on that tour. I mean, it was... I think acknowledged by a lot of people that a band going out and playing, I think it was about 240 songs over the course of 13 nights without any repeats. Um, that's an accomplishment. I mean, even if you don't like fish, if you don't like jam bands, uh, you have to tip your cap <laughs> to them pulling this off. It's a pretty incredible thing. And, uh, you know, fish has had some ups and downs in their career, but it definitely seems like they've reached a point of stability in their career that is probably unprecedented. I mean, these guys seem like they've been around each other for a long time and, and, and they know how to be a band and, and they're playing really, really well. So I, I think that definitely had an influence on Mike's mood as well as the solo record that he has coming out uh, that he made with Sean Everett, uh, a very big name in indie rock and rock and roll in general. He, he produced the Alabama Shakes record, Sound and Color. He engineered the War on Drugs record, A Deeper Understanding. He did the uh, recent Grizzly Bear record, Painted Runes, um, and he worked on this record, and uh, I think Mike's really proud of it, and I think it's a good record. He has, many, he has a reason to be proud. Uh, so without further ado, here is me and Mike, and uh, we had a really great conversation. Uh, here's Mike Gordon from Fish. So Mike, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thank you. Can I ask, like, where are you right now? Uh, I'm in one of my little... I'm in my favorite kind of place because it's Vermont, and it's a uh, it's it's I tend to like hover near these cafes. Um, this one is a <laughs> it's actually a vegan restaurant and cafe, and it's along the Winooski River. It's called Pingala. Oh, okay. Um, and it's not too many vegan places around. Um, not that I'm completely vegan, but you I get the rushing water of the Winooski River and these old mill buildings, and then I'm standing outside on a wooden loading dock sort of deck. I'm not using it to load, using it for people. And I'm having this cool Vermont breeze. Um, so I'm feeling really good. <laughs> yeah. This sounds like tranquil, like, like very tranquil where you are right now. I, I'm actually, it might be my, it might be my, uh, my mood too, because, you know, I, I had a great summer with fish and that is over for a while. So I get to focus on this, this, stuff that I've been, you know, I've worked on the album for a long time and getting a tour ready and stuff like that. And, and we already had our longer tour rehearsals. So it's kind of like the dust has cleared and I get to just bask in, in these feelings of celebrating this album that we made. And, and then like, I'll go home and plug in an effects pedal and there's, there's a, there's a few crazy ones, which I've splurged for that one that I can't even figure out what it does. It's just filled with mystery. And, you know, or watching some video that someone sends a link for or some magazine article, and I'm just kind of allowing that. Usually I'm, every moment of my day is goal-oriented and, you know, lists of things to do. So I'm really enjoying this sort of in-betweeny Vermont time. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you seem like a very busy guy. You know, you just mentioned, you know, you, you did the Baker's Dozen. You were talking, it's, we're about a week removed from Fish's Stand in Colorado at Dick's. 
you're going to have this uh, upcoming tour with your solo band at the end of September going into October. And of course, the record is coming out, which, by the way, is that pronounced Ogogo or is it O-G-O-G-O? It's O-G-O-G-O. So it's like the word Ogogo with, uh, with the wrong letter. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted a palindrome, which was actually Scott, Scott Murawski came up with it. Oh, okay, right. Scott, my muse. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm always intrigued by musicians like yourself who have achieved a great level of success. And it seems like you're at the point where you wouldn't have anything to prove. And yet right. you're very busy. You know, you're always, you know, you're always touring with somebody. You're, you're working on, on records, either with Fish or on your own. Obviously, you have a great love of music. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. But is there also a compulsion where like, do you feel like you have to stay busy in order to stay sharp or to keep your skills oh, at a certain I level? Just, uh, <laughs> well, first of all, you know, we all, the Fish guys all went to see Buddy Rich, and it was when we were freshmen at, at UVM and the sign said the greatest drummer in the world. And I, I didn't know too much about him. And I was like, yeah, right. And he was, he was the, he was the greatest drummer in the world. I, I was floored. And, uh, I heard that, that he practices a lot every day. He was 74 at the time, I think. And he said that, that all that he's learned and all of his experiences have only told him, I've only showed him how much more there is to learn. Um, and I feel so happy for that. My career is going so well and it's been a great trajectory. And yet I feel like I've just scratched the surface. And right now I could, I could describe 20 different albums that I'd like to make, which is something I think about a lot, different ways of different processes or themes or, um, and I want to get back more deeply into movies than I, than I was before um, and other stuff too. So I feel like, you know, and then maybe more personal goals and challenges within what I do. And, and um, so I don't think it's, it's not even a choice. It's, it's just what I love to do. I like to create and, I, I, I wouldn't ever dream of stopping. I, I, I'm trying to think of how I can cram about a lifetime and a half worth of goals and projects into the one lifetime. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you mentioned like Buddy Rich feeling like he was still learning things even when he was in his 70s. Like, like for you, like what do you like? What are like some recent lessons you've learned in the musical realm? You feel like? Well, um, the biggest ones um, are sort of philosophical. Uh, although they play out in a very real way. I guess they're metaphysical. But um, I, I have this thing where, um, you know, I'm picky about the music I'm playing, and I, I try not to be, but, but, but then what happens is there's a certain jam or a set, that, you know, and Fish will do a certain set in a summer like the one I just had, and um, I'll get really inspired, and I'll write a letter to my other band, to, to the band, uh, members and I'll, uh, I feel like I'm just trying to decode the secrets and it's not the secrets to music. It's like the secrets to Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, I'll never quite figure it out because I'm not pretending to be someone who is, uh, knows too much, but I still like the challenge of the puzzle. And, you know, it, it, I'm just realizing right now I'm talking to you that, um, it's really just stems from, um, in November of 1985, I used to always talk about the speak experience I had as playing with fish. We had five band members at the time. 
still. You know, so that, there was one year that we had five band members. And I had to speak experience, and I told everyone about it. And I, and I started writing in these journals. And I, I had been journaling in high school, but I decided that the goal of all my journals would be to figure out what in the hell happened that night and how can I make it happen as much as possible. So now, when I was 20, so now I'm 52, and flash forward 32 years later, it's not exactly the same. I mean, I also told myself that night, my goal is to go from city to city and play with these guys and try to have this happen. And so for decades, I did exactly that. And I, you know, I was still in school and I wanted to kind of like not focus on that anymore so much. Um, just all the goals. I just did it. I did what it, and now <clears throat> on the one hand, it's, it's not the same goals. I mean, I don't always want to be, I, 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 I do want to, I'd want to travel and play in bands and have those experiences, but I don't always want to be on the road. And those experiences aren't the only elation for me. So for me, being in, you know, being on the roof of a building and having the lyric of a song kind of crystallize um, is just as much of a peak. Well, it's a different kind. Uh, and I'm, I'm still looking out at all the other buildings. It's just that I'm alone and I'm on the roof and, and I'm not in a concert, I'm not on stage. But that's just as important to me, I realized at a certain point, that they, that, that kind of crafting and even, an, even a more intellectual experience than just being in the middle of a big jam. So, but on the other hand, when you just asked me, um, like, what are the things I learned recently? I'm realizing that they, they really do just stem right back to that peak experience. That was the life defining for me. And, um, and I, I, I actually, so I, 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 <laughs> I've become friends with Dan Levitin who wrote, this is your brain on music. Um, and he's written, he wrote actually his last three books were number one bestsellers. Um, he's a great writer and thinker and, um, and he had been a music producer before he wrote that music book, um, back in the day. And so I, I said, you know, I don't want to inundate you, but I've been writing these letters, um, to my, to my bandmates and based on some experiences and, um, I could send you a couple excerpts. It's just, I said, it's just me trying to figure things out. Or he said that he said, it's, I, I, I like said, don't worry about, I was worrying I was being indulgent, sharing my, you know, uh, my thoughts from either emails or, or journal. And he said, don't worry. It's, I like when people try to figure this stuff out in words. And I, I just picked a couple little paragraphs and sent them. And I reread, so I got to reread all of my summer lessons um, <laughs> in trying to figure out what I would send him as, a, as excerpts. And this whole business of not thinking while you're playing, um, I've actually been talking about it more with, with, my, new, with my band, um, because it's not so obvious. Like, I, I think I have methods of shutting my brain down. And then I realized, no, these methods don't work, or, or actually the goal is a little bit different than I thought, and then... Scott Murawski, you know, will say something that sort of says, how could that work when, you know, he challenges me, which is good. And Robert Walter, they all do. Um, so then I rethink it and then I'm back in another jam. Um, I, I, I think that you can actually be in the middle of a, of a huge jam religious experience and still have an observer 
present to later be able to take notes and journal about it. It seems like it's someone not entirely in the moment, but, but I think you can be in the moment and still have that observer. Remember, I got, I got to talk to Bill Ash about that at one point. He agreed. He said, yep, that happens with me too. Yeah. Um, and so I was sort of talking about the ways of getting your brain to shut down and the, the, the music to play itself. And that was, that was the theme. And, but I have to remind myself over and over and over and over again that, that that's the point because things will start to sound really kind of cliche and, and dumb and monotonous and, you know, kind of banal and pedestrian, whatever, <laughs> campy. Um, and then I realized, but that's, that's not the point. That's missing the point. The point is these are tools in the music, musical patterns and melodies and that are opening the door to letting the music play itself. And when that door gets opened and when you surrender, it's a whole different level of existence that, that isn't even fathomable from normal existence, and yet it's 100% normal. At, at, at the same time, it's just as normal as doing the dishes. Um, so this is it, it gets real philosophical with me. I tend to just like churn this stuff in my mind and rethink it in different ways. And But it's also really... It's what I do for a living. It's it's trying to cultivate something that's bigger than myself. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm I'm, I'm in La La Land right now. So I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean that was the, that was the most honest answer to your question. Anyway. I mean, like you know, these religious experiences that you talk about, these transcendent moments. Yeah. I mean, I know, like for certainly a lot of Fish fans, the, the Baker's Dozen was a really special uh, series of concerts. You know, the, there was such a great reaction to those. Like for you, yeah. like during that run or maybe some other recent show, is there a moment that stands out to you as being a moment like that where you felt like, oh, I'm connecting? Yeah, well, I can answer for that. Um, I'll answer from that run. So I really liked the third night, the second set especially of the third night, um, which was Red Velvet (laughs) Donut Night. Um, But then listening back, I wasn't so sure. Um, But then the other one that I liked the most terms of the feelings and the, uh, the flow and the transcendence is the, um, the lemon night, which is the third from the last. So the third from the beginning and the third from the end, um, the second set, which, so there's no men in no man's land. And then we, I think, uh, I don't know if there's one song in between before, and then we play the Radiohead song, yeah. um, everything in its right place, which I thought was, was good, but it wasn't part of what I liked the best for one thing that played back in a way that was kind of how I remembered it, um, is sense and sense and subtle sounds, sense and subtle sounds, mm. um, which I don't know if it was right after the radio had, I'm not sure, but in the second set of the, of the Friday night, lemon night. And it, it just goes for a while in one mode and then it switches. It, it's not anything groundbreaking and musically, but, you know, it goes to a different chord. Maybe it's major instead of minor. Um, but for me, it's not, it's not objectively what the music is doing that's so special. Because, you know, uh, Philip Glass could write that stuff in his sleep and it would be much, much better. You know, whatever. But, it, but <laughs> it's a mesmerizing. It's, it's the way that the music took over, that the muse took over, and that the band became one mushed together monster. And... Um, and, you know, and, and I don't have to decide what notes to play on the bass because it's the bass is deciding for me. 
so it's one of those moments that I feel like you can kind of hear it on tape. Um, it's the fish, you know, live fish app. So I just <laughs> sometimes listen on the, on the live fish app. Um, or you can just hear every single song. Um, and so, yeah, and it gets to this percolating. It's almost like a percolator. <laughs> my, my parents and my grandparents used to have those percolators for coffee. I don't see them as much anymore. Yeah. Um, just kind of percolating along. And it's hard to describe why I like it so much when it's in some ways so simple. But, but, but again, it's not, it's not so tangible. and it's, it's more how it's coming about and, and why it, you know, it's a ride. So that, th- those would be a couple examples. But there's a lots of different kinds. There's, you know, some of them are kind of like more high energy rockin', and uh, others are more kind of like trancey like that. Uh, anyway, a couple examples. I mean, I, I remember at the end of that run, you guys played on the road again, and it seemed like you were all getting pretty emotional on stage. I mean, was there a feeling of sort of accomplishment at the end of that run? I mean, it seemed like there was sort of an acknowledgement among you four that this was kind of a special thing that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess all of the above. Um, not to mention that um, Willie Nelson wrote a great song. He did write <laughs> it, right? <laughs> I assume. I think he did, um, yeah. And so it's just a good song. And here we are able to sing something that, you know, that we believe <laughs> um, that we love doing this and we're, we're going to be on the road again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a good feeling. Um, and I mean, but, you know, one thing I like as I get older is sort of mixing. I don't like mixing like I would never leave. Well, I shouldn't say never, but, you know, I never take off a day from fish tour and do one of my own gigs because I don't like mixing in that way. On the other hand, when I'm on fish tour, if there's other people to make the set lists and decide some other stuff, I might take some time to do some of my own planning for my own tour and my own album. And um, I really enjoy mixing in that way. And like I said, kind of taking inspiration from one and sharing it with the other. And um, and not just with different bands, but, you know, seeing some video or some invention or Sean Everett was like that, the producer, of, of a go-go where he said he really liked to take a photograph that he sees in a museum or, or a painting or even a piece of, oh, thank you, piece of architecture or something. Um, and use it as his reference for the way he's going to record and mix this song, a certain song. And I'm trying to allow that to happen where the inspirations just flow easily without question without second guessing you know i hear a song on the radio and it's a whole different kind of music than i would ever want to make but there's something inspiring so i'll just experiment with that thing that aspect of it you know or go to a james terrell exhibit and be blown away and say well that applies to me and i don't know how but i'm just going to let it in and see what happens and i guess that's what probably the definition of an artist is is someone who cultivates inspiration and tries to turn it out in some other way, in whatever way it comes out. All right, we're going to take a quick break from my conversation with Mike Gordon of Fish. Uh, I want to tell you about another sponsor of this week's episode, and that is our old friends at SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. 
With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and you know I've talked about this in the past. You know, I buy tickets to a lot of concerts, and this is the easiest way to do it. You know, I, I saw U2 recently. I got my tickets through SeatGeek. I saw Jason Isbell's show down in Madison, and I, I bought those through SeatGeek as well. I know you guys out there, you go to a lot of shows. You're into music. You're listening to this podcast. So if you're going to buy tickets anyway, I suggest checking this app out. And to further entice you, the listeners of this podcast, you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase if you download the app and you enter in the promo code CELEBRATION TODAY. Again, that's the promo code CELEBRATION, and you get the $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So if you're going to buy a ticket anyway, why not give it a shot? So again, that's SeatGeek. You download the app, you enter in celebration, you get the good deal. It's interesting, you know, because we're talking about, you know, before, in, uh, you know, when you play on stage, these, the, in a way you're sort of pursuing these transcendent moments, you know, trying to connect to something bigger. And for a lot of the people, I think for the people that listen to your, to listen to Fish, like that's what they're also hoping for as listeners, that they're going to hear those moments. And I'm wondering, like, how that experience affects how you make records. I mean, you said earlier that you obviously... Think in terms of albums, you have like 20 different albums that you want to make. Um, but typically, you know, artists are defined by the albums they put out. And that has never been true of Fish. You know, the live thing is at least as big, if not bigger, than the records you've done. In a way, does that make it more relaxed when you're making an album? I mean, like I think of a, like a band like U2, for instance. They spend years making a record. Mm -hmm. they're, they're crafting it like it's this grand statement. And mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's not necessarily the same with you. But how does that... You know that that sort of flow of music that, in the way that you know people listen to you, does, does that affect at all how you work in the studio? The rephrase that one time. Does does what affect that? Well, you know the the idea that you know that like when the people that listen to your music, they're going to focus as much on the live recordings of what you do as right. they do on the records. That like I think for a lot of bands, they're defined by their discography much more than their live work. Whereas with the music you make. You know, yeah. people will remember a concert from 20 years ago that they love and they still listen to. They listen. They might listen to that as much as a record. I'm wondering if that affects at all how you approach working in the studio. Yes and no. I mean, see, for me, well, just to take it on a little tangent, I mean, the geek experience that I can have on stage if my daughter and I, and she's eight now, and if, we, if we're walking in some town we're exploring and looking for a place to, open, to play chess, which we do, and the sun is kind of setting, and the rain, it's been raining, and there's some little craft store, and we check out, that's a peak experience, too. Um, right. And so, so is being in the studio. Um, there's different kinds of peak experiences, but being in the studio where we recorded Q Division, um, it's not just the moments in the songs. It's the fact that they have these colorful couches and skylights with streaming light and colorful vintage keyboards that I've never heard of before that they keep bringing into the room and Robert keeps using. It's, it's the whole experience and the people that are visiting. Um, Jill Goldman, my old friend from grade school, came a few times and, and my mom and her partner came a few times um, it's the whole scene um, is kind of magical, like sort of hovering 
with this creative purpose, uh, with friends and with, and so, um, going and, and then I can, I can remember similar experiences just with Scott Murawski writing and, you know, we were, we, we hold up at the Liberty prison hotel for part of this and, you know, it used to be a prison and now it's a hotel. It's right in Boston. And there's something kind of interesting in the walls of that place. And it was such an emotional time getting together and, and, and putting these songs together. And the goal isn't to make something, but then can be stretched out into a jam so that we can have a magical experience that might happen, and it'd be nice if it did, but that's not the goal. The goal is right now, right in the second, is us, even if we're just working on a lyric, um, you know, living in our moment and, and enjoying our moment fully. Um, and, it, you know, actually, maybe the complicated answer, maybe the interesting answer for me is that it is like a, it's a full circle because... Um, Sometimes these jams go for ten minutes, and then they find, and then they settle on something interesting. Yeah, and that sounds like a new song. Not the whole jam, but just that thing after ten minutes for that goes for forty-five seconds, and you know, or for two more minutes. And some of the songs in this album are exactly that, literally that. A couple of them are actually from live moments. Yeah, and but even the others are are trying to say, okay, well, we're going to skip the ten minute journey and we'll save that maybe for the stage or for the practice room and and then we're just going to go to that part that that was what we found the new pattern new melody or uh rhythm and just kind of have that be put that on it doesn't have to be long it can be short because we're going to climb right into it right at the apex of of what came to us um so we kind of did that and so for me it's not about Yeah, it it can't really be anything than what it is right then. Yeah, I want to make an album that represents the vibe that you know it's what's going on in our lives while we're writing, and it's what's going on in the process of writing, and what's enjoyable or what's painful in that. And I feel like if we can put that into an album, that it doesn't matter if we make twenty albums, it doesn't matter if it's the definitive U two album of all time, <laughs> or if it's just a random thing that's a little quirky. I don't think those matter, things matter too much if, if you're true to yourself or along the journey, if we're true, true to ourselves. So maybe I'm, I'm still answering in kind of like a, uh, I'm still getting a little philosophical, but. No, I mean, I, um, I, I mean, if I, if I'm hearing you right, I mean, it seems like for you that the process is a big part of, of creating mm -hmm. music, you know, and, and, and like you said, the journey, you know, the idea, the, the idea that you are on top of a building, you have an idea for a song and then mm -hmm. you're going to like follow it through and you're going to record it. And then maybe you're going to end up on stage. It's not the, it's not like the people applauding at the end. It's not necessarily where the song ends up. It's like the act of creating it is what you're after. Well, I also think that if people see, I mean, one thing I think people like about Fish is they see people on stage that get along and, are ha and, and enjoy what they're doing. Yeah. And that comes across in a big way. Um, and sometimes I'll have a gig that I just don't like. And, you know, this is, this is a common occurrence in, in my business where the fans will all say, because I've heard this from other people in other bands, but the fans will all say, that was so great. That was the, that was the best 
I mean, I, recently, I'm not even going to say which, which one it was, but there was, there was a night where I just didn't feel it at all. Uh, you know, there were, there's always going to be some good moments, and it's, it's not that it's terrible. It's just that I don't, I don't like it too, too much. Not my favorite. And the fans said it was their favorite show, some of them, of all time. And so, and then some people said, well, that's good. At least you, you know, reached people and moved people. But selfishly, that's not good enough. <laughs> because if I don't enjoy what I'm doing, then I can't keep doing it. Or, you know, something has to change to do it differently. Um, so it's selfish to say, I mean, if I can move people and, I don't know, give them, entertain them or help them in some way, I do want that. Uh, but, if, but if I'm satisfied in my process, then I feel like that will inspire them in a deeper way. Right. Um, and it'll allow me to keep going. And so... Yeah, it's a pretty selfish thing being an artist, <laughs> um, but I think that's, yeah, that's what's being, that's the commodity. It's, it's inspiration to to be inspired by someone who likes what they're doing and, and, and is being fruitful in that way. Right, right. Oh, I want to go back to Sean Everett. You, know, you mentioned his name earlier, and Sean, of course, produced your yeah. record and you know, for people for people who who read liner notes, I mean, Sean's name is appearing everywhere lately. I mean, he was he worked on the War on Drugs record, he worked on the new Grizzly Bear record. Um, I I first heard about him because he won a Grammy for engineering the Alabama Shakes record, Sound and yeah. Color, which is like, I think maybe that's that might be the best sounding rock record of the decade. I mean, it's just an amazing sounding record. It's pretty amazing. Is that and how you he can read? There's a thing online about how he made it, and it's astounding. Where one song might have 700 tracks and, and they're, they get turned off because groups of tracks are just experiments, but endless experimenting. And he's just so giddy and creative and kind and experimental. He's, he's like, uh, sound and music for him are like just a, a big, huge sandbox for a little tiny kid <laughs> who happens to have incredible skill as well. I mean, with all the experimentation with microphones and old broken instruments and keyboards, and there's just as much that goes on with his hands moving at lightning speed ac across the software and, you know, hundreds and thousands of plugins and pro tools. And, um, one time I came in and I said, okay, we did, we did this experiment where we turned everything off except Craig's voice. Craig is, is our percussionist and does some singing um, for a few bars. And it was a good thing to do. So let's keep that. It was good. However, it's a little bit, um, the one keyboard that we left in the background is now a little bit too plain sounding. So could you just like screw it up a little bit? <laughs> and he said, sure. And I've never seen this before, but what he did was he went onto a track. He went on the, 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 tr the track on Pro Tools. And, you know, you push these buttons and you can see the plugins, which are different sound shapers. And there's thousands and thousands of plugins uh, on, a, on a typical system. So he closed his eyes and he squeezed the mouse and he pulled up the plugin that he didn't know what it was going to be. And he turned it on. And then he did that four more times. All of his eyes. I don't even know how he would know what, you know, part of the screen to go to with his eyes closed. <laughs> Never mind being willing to go with that. And when he got the five on there, it was perfect. There wasn't a need to, to second guess. Um, so it's just kind of like the degree of playfulness 
and surrender. And it was an absolute life-changing experience for me. I, I, I had to like, I had to call home and talk about it. I, I even called Trey. I wasn't going to bother him because he was doing his own thing. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. I just have to tell you about working with Sean Everett. I mean, it sounds like you're describing a Jedi here, like at his computer, like with the, with the blast shield down or something, and you can just kind of figure out where to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's nice to see when someone can be so skilled and so, I mean, and like I said, his hands, his left hand moves at lightning speed where it's a blur. And you have to do that in, in the modern age because, um, because if you're, if you're slow at all and you can't keep up with the number of ideas and, and possibilities that, that happen in the digital world when you're making music. So to have someone so skilled be so free is just, it's such a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, I had, I was searching for a producer and then all the signs started pointing to Sean and it wasn't even a, it was like the universe telling me, go around a corner and like there's Sean's supermarket or something. Not, not literally, but, but that's what it was like. I mean, like, and I called him and he was doing those, he was doing three albums at once. Two you mentioned plus broken social scene. And he hadn't heard my music. He hadn't even, he had never even heard fish before. He has friends like fish and stuff, but. And I thought he would have to like hear some demos, think about it for a couple months, wait till the dust clears, and instead he said, "Yep, I'll do it right away." And I don't even know why he, he was so, but he did. Um, so yeah, it's just ended up being a life-changing experience. Um, I mean, it, it, it was just a clicking, and not just with me, but with my four bandmates. You know, we used the exact same bands that I tore with to make the album. And we had a few tracks that had been started as demos where we could salvage some parts and add to them. Um, and then we recorded the rest fresh. Um, but everyone in the band has this similar kind of desire to experiment and take in some different influences and shed some of the earlier influences a little bit, or, or if maybe not shed, but step away from some of the, the stuff we've, you know, listen to for decades and say, okay, well, let's experiment a little more. Let's, let's allow ourselves to be ourselves a little more and not need to sound like the meters or the grateful dead or, you know, even the talking heads or, um, <clears throat> let's just let it be what it is right now. Um, there, there's been that whole philosophy that's been just feeling really good with this band. And then, so it was like a match. It was like the match made in heaven between, this group of people and Sean, and then in that studio at Q Division, um, because there were, you know, there's this one guy, James, and then all these interns. Um, it was like that same attitude. Like we're, we're, we're all here and we're going to experiment and we're going to do it really quickly and it's going to be really fun. And if anything's not fun, then we're going to move on to something else. Yeah. Um, so thank you universe for giving me that, that period of time. Yeah. You know, I recently spent some time with the National, who you know they just put out a new record, and all yeah. of the guys in that band are involved in other bands now, and and they talked about how value that valuable that's been for them, you know, because they've been around for almost twenty years at this point, you know, to be able to go off and kind of do something different and then come back, and it seems like that's also been that's played a big role in kind of keeping Fish together over the years that you guys all have your yeah, own yeah, it's been important for Fish, although for me this is over 90% of what I spend my time doing. Um, so it's not, it's not like going to 
something that you do for a month and then maybe you'll do it again or not. It's, it's kind of my main, it's my main, uh, body of time is working on my band. And, but the fish career is great. Um, everything going on musically and, you know, trying these new ways of setting up concerts. And, um, so I have a lot, I'm very thankful and we're all getting along great. And, um, but for me, needing to write a lot of songs because I like to experiment and I like to have fun and see what moves me and getting to play them out and play them on stage. And, um, I, you know, I, I absolutely need 100% to have this band and this, you know, my solo career. Like, what do you feel like you're able to do on your own, like on Mike Gordon records that you maybe wouldn't have been able to do on a fish record or with fish on stage? You know, what came to mind when you were saying that is it's kind of quantity over quality that I think that for someone who likes to do something, you need to do a lot of it to really bask in it and, and see what's working and what isn't. Um, so in my bands, I'm, I'm very happy if other band members bring material and make suggestions about how we're going to arrange the songs and arrange the sets. And um, I don't like to be, uh, in a way, I like to be hardly a leader at all. I like to just <laughs> bring it all together. Um, but I do really like, I enjoy being an integrator of different systems and different people. And, and I just need to do a lot of it. So with this, it's already done. Um, I, I can make suggestions and any kind of song that I want to play, Fish will do. And they encourage me. And, you know, th there's different kinds of songs that I brought to the band. And um, any suggestions, there's a lot of openness. But there are people to, to be dreaming up these ideas and making these decisions um, already. So it doesn't matter if I bring them or not. So I, I, I guess that's the biggest thing is the, the quantity thing. I need to be able to sing a whole bunch of songs every set and feel this full circle of where, you know, I'll look over at Scott and I'll, I'll remember this moment we had in some cabin by a lake or something where, where this lyric kind of tweaked itself into submission where it became a, it, 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 something changed and it became something that moved us. And I, I sort of flash back there and I look at Scott and I think, here we are. We did that together and this thing germinated and now we're on stage and we're finding, you know, whatever about that is in our hearts that we can sort of put out into the room. And so, um, I really like that. Um, Trey and I did a thing in 06 while Fish was um, broken up where we wrote together a little teeny weeny bit and the Fish guys have done experiments with writing together um, a little bit. Um, but I think in terms of having room for a huge quantity of creativity uh, being allowed and being needed, that's, that's what happens in my solo career. It's no, it's no specific kind of thing. Uh, I mean, I guess another thing happens that there are just sorts of rhythms and patterns and grooves that different people like because of who they are. And so I have those. And I guess with, with my band, I get to um, play a much bigger role in kind of selecting a bunch of, a bunch of those just 
stuff that has, you know, as a bass player, I think in kind of the engine room of music a, a fair bit of the time. And, you know, if there's a certain kind of groove that's very fast and very syncopated, I might not enjoy it so much. Or if it's very, if it's kind of plodding and very kind of like slow and, and simple, sometimes I don't, I, I love a lot of simple rhythms, so that's kind of coming out wrong. Yeah. But, you know, but it's not even worth putting into words. You know, we have our taste. So I, I, I do appreciate getting to kind of align that a bit. Uh, but, you know, Scott Murawski will bring one of his songs or a cover song. And sometimes at first I'm not sure, but I know that if he's inspired about it, I know it's going to be great. And then it becomes great. And I'm really glad that he brought it. So um, so there's there's certainly room for, I don't know, did I answer the question? No, you did. I mean, I, I'm just wondering, like, is it ever jarring? Because you, know, you said like you're 90% of the time working on your own music and then you, you're in Fish the other 10%. Is it ever jarring to go from like your thing to like the machine that is fish. It is jarring, but not too jarring. I mean, it's been 34 years with fish. So climbing back in is pretty comfortable. Um, I would say it's more some, some specifics. Um, well, one example that comes to mind is with my band, we use, this might seem little, but it's actually pretty big with my band. We use in-ear monitors shoved into our ears. And the fish, we don't and never will. It's, it's actually taboo. Um, Why is it taboo? Well, that's, it's a long story because there have been a lot of conversations. But the overall band together feels, uh, well, it was said at one point, and I don't even know who said it, but you know, someone was dabbling um, in either earplugs or in-ear monitors. Or, um, and th- it was said that in-ear monitors ruin music. It was theorized that in-ear monitors um, hurt the Grateful Dead. <laughs> more, even maybe more than Jerry Garcia's drug addiction. <laughs> now, if any of my friends would play, <laughs> they they wouldn't agree with that. But um, but but who knows? These are just theories. But yeah. because music is supposed to, this, no, I'm paraphrasing whoever might have said it, but music coalesces in the air. Right. And sure, it's different out front than on stage, and different parts of the stage are different, very different, as you walk a few feet left and right. Resonances are different, but still, it's coalescing in the air. So it's been fascinating for me because I just decided I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to be scared uh, on my own. <laughs> um, I just want to experiment with it. I'm still on board, and I don't think that it ruins music, that they ruin music, or that they make improvising more difficult. In fact, when we put them in, there's a clarity, and there's also and there's a consistency from night to night. Um, So, you know, a venue that's booming, now it doesn't matter so much. And uh, there's plenty of ambience that that comes into the ears. Um, But the cool thing is that this little bubble that's, you know, I mean, I guess the fear would be that everyone's in their own world. They're hearing different things. But people are hearing different things anyway, whether you're standing in front of the bass amp or somewhere else. Or um, I think it's cool to, like, get in this bubble because this bubble is actually the band and it's actually the room. And even the crowd is in that bubble, but it's kind of encapsulated into a bubble around your head. And there's something I like about that because it's like climbing into the dream. Um, and then with the things that are clear and, oh, I see that I'm going to have to go in a minute. Um, anyway, um, 
the way it makes it easier to sing and to control the volume. But there are some technical challenges. And with my band, actually, we um, now someone who's on Fish Tour also works with Beck, the keyboard tech, and he said that Beck brought in someone who is Taylor Swift's monitor engineer, who is you know a leading a leading sound person in the industry. Um, and so I've been talking with him, and I want to get some more. I really like to be resourceful, and I worked with Dan Healy, who was the Grateful Dead sound person and innovator for you know 25 years. Spent some time with him doing stuff, and I really like to try to push the limit of what we can do in every way, technically and you know musically and. So I'm going to work with this guy because I think the in-ears can, I think I'm, I'm doing some things wrong, but I think that the payoff, there's still a, a big payoff. Um, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. You know, music is all hearing. Um, improvised music is, you know, what you hear is more important than what you might think to play. Right. You're only playing what you're hearing. And then to screw around with that, with a technology that's very, very different, is more than scary. But I like, if you don't take risks in, in this life, then... And you don't, can't get very far. Yeah. So I like the challenge. Um, Around the time of the Baker's Dunners, Zaz and I wrote this thing about how I recently became a Fish fan, like in the last five or six years. And like the big thing mm-hmm. for me was that the band was so much fun to follow because every show matters. And that in a way, like when you guys are on tour, it's like right. following a sports team. There's like a new three-hour thing that you can enjoy every night. And it's different. And it, it, it's just a different way to follow a band than, than is typical for, for most bands out there. And I'm just curious, and I don't know if you have an opinion on this, like why more bands don't behave this way, where they uh, treat every show like a distinct event and they make it available to people to hear almost instantly after it's over. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think people have different intentions. Bruce Hampton, who passed away recently, used to talk a lot about intention. It's ironic, though, because lately in my philosophical musings to my bandmates, to my, my own band bandmates, I've been saying how I want to... I want to take away the intentionality so that the muse can play the music. And so that word intention is a very loaded word to be used in different ways. But in terms of having, well, you could say the right intention or pure intention or just saying, what are your intentions? Um, and it varies so much, but I guess one big varying, Oh, like in Nietzsche's birth, birth of tragedy and, and, and complaint and comparing the how is it the Dionysian ethic versus the how do you say it Apollonian? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's close the Apollonian enough. is more like an opera where where you are able to very carefully craft a performance and every moment of it is composed and it's and it's contrived and there's something you know there's something beautiful in that and I was explaining to Tessa going to Justin Bieber or going to a huge pop show Tessa's my eight year old is she's never gone, but it's an incredible experience because there's nine video screens and the videos are, you know, made by, um, a top Hollywood director and there's 20 dancers and a big band and there's scaffolding and Justin's up on the scaffolding and he jumps and now suddenly he's hidden and, and, and he cut and it looks like he jumped into the video screen and now he's swimming underwater and he's, he's swimming away from the paparazzi. <laughs> but this is, you know, a really high, and he's dancing for two hours every moment along with his songs, it's, it's a really high level of human accomplishment. And, you know, it, it's hard to look at that as being lesser in any way than going out and saying, you know, often the best fish moments these days are saying, we're going to be on this one chord for 15 minutes and that's it. 
There's not going to be like tricky soloing. More um, playing this game. It's going to be whatever, whatever the cosmos, you know, or my band too. You know, ideally, it's whatever the universe wants to play in that, on that one chord, and it could be the simplest thing ever, over and over again. But we're going to have this experience. It's a, that would be more, I would say, like the Dionysian ethic. So I think that that what you're describing is. I mean, a lot of bands play the same set every night, and um, the intention is just so different. But I guess I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really judge someone for having one or the other or different varieties. And it's probably it's probably a more complicated answer. I think it would, that's what it would come down to, though, is looking at, you know, what is the intention? Is it to? Is it? Although, where did I see recently? Um, oh. I know. There's this. Uh, okay, I'm gonna say one more thing, and I realize to go on late now. Um, Simon Sinek, he's this inspirational speaker you yeah. can see online, and he's a corporate consultant. And I love watching him speak because he's very articulate and very charming, <laughs> and inspirational. And he was. So you can see this online. One of the things, many things, uh, uh, of the things online that he that he's talked about in one of the seminars is he makes this chart and he puts the why in the middle and then an outer circle with the how, and then another circle with the what he was saying, like all the computer companies tell you, I have this new computer that does all this stuff. And this is how we did it. And we put it, you know, and that's going from the outside in. He said, if you want to be true to yourself and have a product that's, that's successful, you're not selling what the product does. You're selling the why and put the why first and why. And that's why Apple computer is so successful. They're saying, well, this is what we believe in. We believe that we want to think outside the box and we want to innovate and that's what's important. And by the way, we happen to have all these different products and people want to buy all the products because of the why, not because of the what. Right. And I've thought a lot about that and how it applies to my life, but I, I think it applies pretty big because that peak experience I had created a very definitive why for me, which is we can get onto this different plane of consciousness where we're all connected and we're feeling something where we're both, un- both that's both unlike anything that we've felt before in our lives, and also very normal at the same time, and very personal and real. And that's the why. And everything else, just you know. But you need to have great that without having great songs with great lyrics and mess, you know, and meaning, you know, would just be sort of uh, surface level. So it it's more complicated than than just saying, okay, we're going to go do that. Um, yeah. So um, I think maybe that's what you would see, is you would see people thinking a little backwards sometimes, trying to put the what first right. rather than the why. But I should run. So those are great questions, though. I appreciate your time. Hey, I appreciate you, Mike. Thanks again, man. Take care, and good okay. luck with the record. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, that was me and Mike Gordon. That was a lot of fun. He was a very chill guy. He was definitely getting into some metaphysical realms there at the end. Um, it was fascinating, though. I mean, they... Fish to me is a very fascinating band. They're a great band. I've really enjoyed getting into them in the last several years. Um, but, you know, it was great talking to Mike. He had a lot of great insights into how that band works. Guys, thanks again for listening to this week's episode. I want to give another shout-out to our sponsors this week, the, the good people at Brooklinen. This was their first episode, so thanks for sponsoring us, guys. And, of course, SeatGeek, our old friends. So uh, definitely take advantage of those deals for Celebration Rock listeners. Um, I also want to thank you guys again. I say this every week, but I mean it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You make this podcast possible. 
uh, the fact that you talk about us on social media, that you tell your friends about us, that you leave us reviews, all of these things make the podcast possible. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, all right, guys, this was a great episode. I love talking to Mike Gordon, but next week will be great too. So guys, thanks again for listening and we'll look forward to uh, talking to you again uh, next week.